0: Well, good morning. My name is Phil Nelson. I'm the lead pastor here. We are honored to share this time with you and excited for this series called the Do-Nots, not Donuts. <laughs> the Do-Nots. We actually were going to do an image with a donut hole uh, in the background, but we thought we'd leave that out. So, the Do-Nots for living. And this scripture, why we started with Ephesians chapter 2. Is this scripture clearly communicates to our hearts and to our spirits that Jesus is the only reason that we can have hope? And Jesus is the only foundation in which Christianity will stand. And this scripture shows us what it means to be a Christian, a genuine follower, not just a name tag that says, I'm a Christian. Not just a Bible with your name engraved on it. But his name, Jesus, the resurrected Savior, is engraved in your heart because you have believed in him and you have received his spirit. The scripture shows us very clearly that Christianity, say Christianity hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ alone. Alone. And that's contrary to what many of you have been taught. And we said last week, that definitely stirred the waters and maybe stepped on some toes, but the Bible is not the foundation of the Christian faith. The Bible, this, is not the foundation of the Christian faith. Now, before you tune me out, listen for the next minute. The foundation of Christianity, what I mean is the ground in which we stand, the ground in which Christianity will never crumble, is not this, but it is an event in which this documents The foundation of Christianity is an event, the resurrected Savior who lived and died, the gospel message for us, and ascended to heaven and is seated on the right hand of of the throne of the Father, interceding for us, and one day he will come back for those who have believed in the name of Jesus, being the true Christians. This documents it. And without the resurrection of Jesus, it is merely words on a page. <laughs> you see, the, the cool thing about this is when it becomes alive and active, is when we realize that from front to back, it all points To Jesus. All of it. And the fulfillment of the resurrection to where you and I can now have hope. Here and now. Right now. Into all of eternity. Last week we discussed a little bit that many of you and thousands upon thousands if not millions of people in our world. Have abandoned the teachings of Jesus. Have left Their faith, whatever that looks like in Jesus, due to two things. One, you and me, hypocritical Christians, have tainted the image of Jesus and so they want to give up on the faith. They also... Can't reconcile or comprehend or justify what they're reading in a mere maybe scripture verse or a chapter or the Old Testament just doesn't make sense. And so obviously the New Testament won't make sense. And if it doesn't make sense, that means it's not true. And so they abandon their faith due to something they can't understand and something that they don't want to be like. And I said last week, and I'll say it again, that is absolutely silly and ridiculous to leave the Christian faith because of people and something you don't understand. Because let's remember that when Jesus rose again, they did not have a New Testament Bible. And the Gentiles, who were not Jews and were prohibited to even having anything to do with the Jewish culture, didn't have a Bible at all. The Old Testament was not for them. And so they had Jesus' teachings, the gospel message, and eyewitness accounts of the risen Savior that are now documented in this living word. So what I'm, what I'm not saying about the Bible, what I'm not saying is this, that the Bible isn't important. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that it's not divine and inspired and absolute truth. I'm not even saying that it's vital to growing to look more and more like Christ in our Christian walk. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is the Bible is not the very foundation of which we stand. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his salvation and his soon return for us that the Bible affirms, confirms, and teaches us. Does that make sense? Okay, let's move on. Let's look at the chapter, uh, excuse me, the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 12. And those of you who have their Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew 10, because we're going there in just a second. But this is what it says about the Word of God. So you, so, so those of you know that I'm not, I'm not saying that it's not the Word of God. Okay, Here's the Bible. For the Word of God is, what's that word? Living and sharper than any piercing to the division of the soul and spirit and joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is living and powerful and active. It is the very spoken word put to paper. I hope you see this. It is his heart. It is God Almighty's thoughts and design for abundant living. But if this is not based on the salvation, the saving grace, and the resurrection of Jesus, this is merely words on a page to you. It will not become active. It will not be a sharper sword that slices and dices. Because it's not built upon Jesus. It's just words. And for so many of you... That's what it is. That's what it has been. But it's living and active when Jesus, the resurrected Savior, becomes the foundation. For instance, take a motorboat. And it's designed to transport you. It's designed to protect you, to keep you safe. It's designed to not tip over, even though the youth experienced the opposite on their uh, canoe trip last week. The boat is designed to do what its purpose is to carry you and transport you without getting wet. You put that motorboat on grass, on a football field, you put that motorboat on a parking lot, that boat ain't going anywhere. I don't care what kind of motor you have on the back of it, it's not going anywhere. Why? Because it's not put on the foundation that it was designed to be put on. Take a snowmobile. It's built with skis, right? Well, you water ski, don't you? Kind of the same thing. Yet, you put it on water and you ain't going anywhere but down. Why? Why? Because it wasn't built for water. It was built for land and, with that, snow. The word of God was built only to be built upon Jesus and his resurrection. Does that make sense? Because if it doesn't, we can't go further. Okay? Just just nod yes if it, it makes sense. Good. So, to take it one more step further before we get into the do nots. I want to look at John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Did you know that the resurrected Messiah, Jesus Christ, is referred to as the Word? Yeah, now it gets good because we're talking about the Word of God. And it says, In the beginning was the Word, a person. Not a book. The word was with God. And the word, read that with me, me, the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. The resurrected Jesus is the word of God that Hebrews 4 talks about. That is living and active and powerful and sharper than anything. Here on earth and in heaven. That's powerful. But it is only active through the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. If you believe me, could you just say amen? Amen. So, this is the key component of our introduction before we go to the do not. And it's on the screen. When the truth of God, the divine word of God is rooted in our hearts, grounded only in the resurrection of Jesus... Then the words of God, the thoughts of God, the heart of God become alive, active, and more powerful than anything else on earth or in heaven. That's the key component that Jesus was trying to get into the thick skulls of the disciples and ourselves in which they didn't truly get it until he had resurrected and the Holy Spirit came. So today, we are going to look At the, I would say, one of very many do-nots that Jesus has given us. Because if Jesus truly is the resurrected Christ, he is in which the rock, the cornerstone, in which our Christian faith stands, then his teachings are what matters, correct? And so we're going to look at the first do-not, not don't it, first do-not that Jesus gave us. And today... That word is do not fear. Do not fear. Fear not. And in the English translation, it's do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. That doesn't make sense. You're right because Jesus's do nots were not realistic without him. Jesus's do nots were outrageous? What do you mean we're not to fear? Have you seen the news? Have you seen our streets? Have you seen the schools? Have you seen our world? Have you seen the internet? Jesus? How are we not to be afraid? And so what I want you to know, to everyone who is wrestling, which I think makes 99.9% of us, I want you to understand that in your fear and in your struggle with fear, you are not alone. Hear me, you are not alone. Number two, God has a special, a very special word for you today. I pray that you would go home. You'd even take notes today if if you feel so led. You would download the message and listen to it. Because God has something to say to you. And thirdly, if he has something to say to us, my question to you, as I asked several weeks ago, is are you listening? Are you listening? Not with just your physical ears, but with the heart, the spirit inside of you. Are you listening? Because those who seek to listen with all their hearts and seek God and his truth will find him. So we're going to look at Matthew 10. So go ahead and turn with me. You can look on your phones as well. Matthew 10. And as we look at Matthew 10, we're going to see Jesus time and time and time and time again, teaching his disciples to not fear. He is teaching them this outrageous principle. And I want to look at these lessons for us today as we battle fear. Which, by the way, a dear friend of mine this morning pointed out that fear, the root of fear, is disbelief. That's why scripture says, I believe, help my unbelief, because all things are possible with God to those who believe. So Matthew 10, Matthew 10 says this, Jesus was sending out his 12 disciples on a missions trip. How many of you have been on a missions trip? Go team to Africa, come on, okay? What you need to understand, I've been to Ethiopia, I've been to Africa uh, several times, and what you need to understand is when you go on a missions trip, you come back so shocked because the mission trip really in most occasions are more for you (laughs) than it is for the people that you're going to minister to. It is a life experience where we experience Jesus and his living word in our lives more than we would in our day-to-day lives. And so Jesus is sending these disciples out on a missions trip to teach them about him and his ways. And so he sends out the 12 disciples and Jesus sends them out and he tells them This, Matthew 10, 7, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those. This is not when Jesus rose from the dead yet, okay? This is before. Cleanse those who have leprosy and drive out demons. Freely have received, so freely you give. And then you think, that's great. Okay, we're going to go in power, and we're going to see God's kingdom come. And then he says this, almost like deflating, popping a balloon. As, uh, Excuse me, look, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. Let me just ask you, what do wolves do? Wolves attack, they wound you, and then if they can, they devour you. Just thinking through a scripture here, spiritually it says about the enemy being a wolf, he's out to kill, steal, and destroy. So he's saying, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. For you will be handed over to the courts and will be flogged with whips in the synagogues. Oh, that's awesome, Jesus. When you are arrested, don't worry. Hey, when you're arrested, don't worry about what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. And then he goes on. If they're not panicked enough and ready to head out the back door, Jesus says this in in verse 28 through 31. Get this. Uh, Next one. I'll start here. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. Okay, Jesus. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God. Who can destroy both your soul and your body and your, your physical being in hell. If I was a disciple, I would be crying. <laughs> what is the price of two sparrows? And in that day, a sparrow was one of the most worthless birds. That's why Jesus uses a sparrow for this illustration. What is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin. But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head, especially those who still have hair on your head, are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of worthless sparrows. So I can just imagine the disciples. Try to imagine with me. They're hearing these words and they're thinking, okay. Jesus is saying, We don't have to be afraid, because everything's going to work for good, and he is going to make all stuff in our lives turn good. It's going to be good. No bad things are going to happen to us. It's going to be good. But yet, Jesus just says that sparrows will fall to the ground. Have you ever seen angry birds without the pigs? Yeah, like that. So they're going to fall to the ground, and God's going to watch them. So that means we're going to fall to the ground and God's going to have a heyday and watch us fall to the ground. And so they're like, and Jesus' instruction and Jesus' words of encouragement in all of this is, do not be afraid. What is he smoking? Can you imagine that? What Jesus is telling them that he's speaking to us today is do not be afraid. And they have no idea what to do with this ridiculous command. But something we may have not noticed in Scripture as reading this, that the disciples have been in experience from Jesus chapters before to begin to learn and connect the dots of what Jesus is saying not to be afraid. So let's look at the first lesson of do not fear in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Then Jesus got into the boat. And his disciples followed him. Matthew 8 chapter 23 through 27. And Jesus got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm, not just a storm, a furious storm came upon the lake so that the waves swept over the boat and the disciples were afraid for their lives. Stop real quick. Many of you can't relate to that, but most of you probably can relate to a point to where you have experienced a tremendous, terrifying, traumatic event in your life that it didn't last long Maybe an airplane ride that went bad. Turbulence. Maybe a tornado. Or even watching September 11th from afar. 2001. Maybe it was a hurricane or lightning striking in front of you or in like mine and Lauren's case, two times in a matter of two weeks, we were in a car accident. And all we see is a car jetting right in front of us. And all we can think is, this is it. What's going to happen? Are my kids going to get hurt? Many of you have been in an experience like this. And then suddenly, when you experience it, you're afraid for your lives. If you can relate to that, you can relate to the disciples. And so then we go on and the storm happens. And verse The end of verse 24 says something pretty amazing. And Jesus was asleep. He was sleeping in the boat in a furious storm. He was not afraid, he was content enough and at peace enough to sleep. And I want to stop there with everyone listening to me. This is so important to catch. Because some of you have disconnected from Jesus and the faith. Some of you have even abandoned your Christian faith altogether because you encountered a furious storm in your life. And Jesus was asleep. And because he was asleep, you concluded that he didn't exist. That he didn't hear you and was asleep and he didn't care. And so you walked away from your faith. Friends, let me urge you to take one step back towards Jesus. Why? Because you're not the first one to experience a traumatic event and afraid for your life and Jesus was asleep. The disciples The very ones who followed him and watched him, the very closest friends to him, experienced fear for their lives. And Jesus was asleep. And so we go to verse 25. The disciples went and woke Jesus up saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And he replied, you of little faith, why are you afraid? And if I was in that boat, I'd probably have to punch him. Hello, why am I afraid? It's because I'm going to drown right now. I'm scared for my life. But Jesus said, don't be afraid. And to put action to his words, guess what he did? He stood up in the middle of the boat and he spoke to the winds and the waves and it became completely calm now we have an entirely different situation of fear after this verse 26 or 27 says the disciples were amazed and asked what kind of man is this That the winds and the waves obey his voice. Did you catch that? Because if you didn't, the Gospel of Mark even takes it a step further and uses two Greek words together that actually means the disciples feared a great fear. And it was no longer the storm. It was the one who had the power and control over the storm. They were really afraid of the storm, but then they were really, really afraid of the one who calmed the storm. They were so afraid of this traumatic event, but now they were way more afraid of the one who was actually in the boat to begin with that was the answer to the calming of the storm. This wrecked them So I want you to let this sink in with this story. Is there is something to be afraid of. There is absolutely something to be afraid of. But it may not be in the who or the what or the when and the where that you've been afraid of. There is something to be afraid of, but perhaps we have been afraid of the wrong thing for so long. Because what Jesus is saying, when there's something to be afraid of, don't be afraid. He's not saying there's nothing to be afraid of. He says when there is something to be afraid of, don't be afraid. So they didn't get it. Hopefully they will get it next lesson. So let's see that next lesson in several chapters forward in Matthew. Chapter 14 to be exact. And if we could put that up on the screen. Thank you so much. Here's another test or a lesson of not being afraid. Are you with me? So I'm just going to summarize what's on the screen. After Jesus, this is after this storm and Jesus calming the storm, okay? They're on land, and he shows his miraculous power by taking a few fish and a few loaves and multiplying it to the point where they feed 5,000 men. That's not including women and children. This is a miracle. The disciples must be on cloud nine, And so then it says that Jesus, I love this, do you believe that the word of God, God has a sense of humor? If you don't, you're missing out because God is hilarious sometimes. Look at this. He immediately made the disciples get into the boat and go before him on the Sea of Galilee to the other side. It specifically says he made them. Do you know why he made them get into the boat? Because they weren't going to get into the boat after last time in the boat with Jesus. Hello? (laughs) No, 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 no. We're not falling for this one, Jesus. We're not going there anymore. And what does he do? He gets them in the boat, and he's like pushing pushing them out. And then he's like, see you guys. Have fun. And they're going, oh, my goodness. And Jesus gets out of the water, so he's not with them in the boat, and he goes back to the multitude of people, and he dismisses them. And then he gets away, as so often he did, to pray. So he's not in the boat this time, but he is watching from afar. And so often, we may feel like sometimes Jesus isn't in our boat, but I can guarantee you that he will never leave us or forsake us, because that's his promise. He is always watching from afar, He is always present, whether it feels like it or not. So, this time, the disciples encounter not a storm, but an incredible headwind. Have you ever been on a boat or somewhere where the wind is so fierce that you literally cannot move forward? And you have to do everything in your own strength to get yourself from moving backwards. That's where the disciples... Were at this point. And what you need to understand is this headwind was so strong. They were rowing in place. Rowing in place. They were exhausted. It says all night long. So that means hours upon hours. They're worn out. They're beat up. And they're soaking wet. They're ready to give up. And they're afraid for their lives. For a whole different reason. Than the storm. And so Jesus takes a perfect opportunity to teach them again because the Bible says that they were afraid afraid of their lives. They cried out in fear. And so Jesus takes his perfect opportunity to take his perfect power and walk upon the water. Even the winds and the waves obey the master's voice. And here he is walking on water. And they still are afraid. They're terrified because they think they saw a ghost. How long have they walked with Jesus and they think he's a ghost? And Jesus takes this perfect opportunity to teach his disciples. And what does he say? Fail, 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 fail. Epic fail, you losers. No! Oh, that's not the heart of Jesus. He says, Take heart, take courage, calm down, and chill out. I'm here. Do you, do, do you remember just a few days ago? The winds and the waves, oh baby, chill out. Trust in me. You have nothing to be afraid of. Don't fear. And Jesus says again, don't be afraid even when there's something to be afraid of. Jesus says, don't be afraid of drowning. Listen to this. Why? Because Jesus knows how to swim. Some of you are absolutely afraid of drowning in life. But Jesus knows how to swim. More than that, he walks on water. He doesn't just know how to swim. Just like Peter, if we're bold enough and trusting God enough to get out of the boat, we can actually walk and stand upon the water with Jesus, as long as we keep our eyes on him. Jesus says, don't be afraid. I'm going to ask you later for our response, but I want to ask you now, what are you afraid of? What grips your life with fear? For me, it's the unknown. It's not being able to wait and see the end in sight. And so I get gripped with fear and then I try to push the hand of God by making it all work out. And that's not God's design for us. So let's move From these two lessons of not fearing to an application. And that is, you don't need to be afraid. Even when there's something to be afraid of. Hear Jesus' words right now today. Fear not. Pay attention. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear not. You see, if you follow Jesus... That means that he lives in you through Holy Spirit. And his response with dealing with fear is this. Don't fear. Be encouraged. The disciples didn't get this until he rose from the dead. Even when he was standing on water in front of them, when he was then arrested... Weeks later, he was arrested. And he was crucified. The Messiah. What did the disciples do? They ran in fear and they hid for cover. Because they were afraid for their lives. And it wasn't until they saw the resurrected Jesus. And guess what happened? They emerged from the scene and they were absolutely fearless. Because they didn't fear The one who could kill the body. They feared the one and only who could kill the body and the soul in hell. They feared God more than life itself. Because Jesus resurrected and defeated and conquered death. Some of you who are afraid for your lives or you're afraid for the lives of others. Who have a death sentence upon them. Jesus is saying don't fear Not just for nothing. Fear not, because I have conquered death. Is anyone here in the building today? Fear not, for I have conquered it. I've been there. I've done that. I've dealt with it. Fear not. I'm with you. Hello, I'm with you in the middle of the storm. I'm with you. Fear not. So here's a takeaway this morning for you. This is called real life change that the disciples experienced when they met and encountered the risen Savior. It's this on the screen. When you really stake your life grounded in Jesus, when you stake your life here and now, friends, And your life in eternity on Jesus Christ, the only foundation that will never fail, because he died for your sins, he died your sinner's death, and he really rose again and defeated sin, death, and hell. Do you believe that? If you believe that, your fear of death will begin to dissipate and evaporate. And you're, you will fully trust the one who controls the winds and the waves, the one who controls the soul. So if you are afraid right now, you need to ask yourself, what am I afraid of? And if it's not the fear of the one who controls the winds and waves of the storm that I'm in, it is not a fear From our Heavenly Father, but a fear from the dark dominion. The lies that become the storm that makes us fear drowning. Fear not. Why? Because fear is a liar. And Jesus knows how to swim. I'm going to ask in just a moment a friend of mine to come up and just share with you a few words. But I want you to understand as well about who we're talking about in Jesus and why we don't have to be afraid. Number one, you ready? This is good. Do you believe that Jesus is the perfect love of God? Do you understand that the perfect love of God came down from heaven to give his life for you, to bring the kingdom of God that we talked about the last series to you. He is the perfect love of God. And that perfect love punctuated, do not fear, with overcoming death. He says, I have conquered death, as, and as my follower, you need not fear what I have conquered. And then later on, years later, the Apostle Paul writes to his disciple Timothy. He says this in Timothy 1.7. Some of you, this is your life verse, or at least should be. For God did not give us a spirit of, say that word? Let's try it again. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and uh, a sound mind, self-control, power, love. He did not give us fear. Some of you need to hear that. If you have Jesus in your heart, or you're seeking the truth, or you've ran away from the faith in Jesus, he's not giving you a spirit of fear. Do not be afraid. Come on up. Do not be afraid, even when there's something to be afraid of. TJ? Have it, bud.
1: First off, I definitely want to give a big thanks to Phil. My dad passed away last week, and uh, he was really struggling, really fighting to find that peace. And it's kind of a pain to see as a, me being his son and my wife and his wife. You know, you sit there and you see that. And I, I mean, my dad's the first one that took me to church. He's the first one that introduced me to God and, you know, being part of that. So seeing him struggling at the end there and that fear, you could almost see that fear in him of dying. And it really put, I don't know, I was at work Wednesday and I was just. Listen to 93.3 and, you know, just cruising along doing what I do. And God just seemed like he put on my heart to let people know, don't wait till you're on your deathbed. Don't sit there and wait. That, you know, that grace is grace is here for us right now. You know, that feeling of forgiveness, whatever we've done. I mean, none of us are perfect. But let's have that peace and that, you know, grace right now. Let's live that every day. Let's live that joy, and, and we all have fear. We all have our inadequacies, but just I don't know, I guess that's the last lesson my dad showed me. is right now, starting from now to have that, you know that forgiveness, that just live it now, here and now. Don't wait till we're on our deathbed because we never know when it's coming. Let's just enjoy it
0: now. Thank you, T.J.. Love you, brother. And just the thing is, I wouldn't have gotten to know my brother, and he wouldn't have testified if he didn't have to go through that storm of losing his daddy and still go through that storm. But he now knows that his heavenly father knows how to swim through the sea of fear. And so I ask you, as the band begins to play, they're going to begin to sing a chorus and I want you to begin to, it's an easy, easy chorus, easy to catch. I want you to start speaking that your fear doesn't stand a chance in Jesus' perfect love. You know, I I just remembered that I didn't finish what I was going to say about Jesus' perfect love. Do you know what the Bible in 1 John says about perfect love? If Jesus is perfect love, perfect love casts out all fear if you're afraid right now what are you afraid of what is the one fear that sometimes cripples you and all you have to do I know it sounds simple and I think it is is say Jesus I need you I need your perfect love because guess what happens when his perfect love gets in the boat fear has to leave Fear doesn't have a choice. It has to leave. So I'd like for you all to stand. And I, I want to just ask you again, what is it you're afraid of? It may be the loss of a child. It may be another loss of a child. It may be your marriage ending in divorce or worse what are you afraid of are you so afraid of rejection that you live your life driven by appearance are you so afraid of failure that it cripples you taking a step of faith what are you afraid of because all you have to do is invite Jesus into the boat of your fear and declare him believe in him speak his truth and allow that fear to get out of the, your boat so we're going to sing this song I just if you want to come forward I'd love to pray for you